0: Welcome to Conversations with Movement Makers with your host, Marianne Schnall. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has always risen up to confront some of our world's most complex and serious problems. So it comes as no surprise that they are at the forefront of addressing the global pandemic, having committed more than $300 million to the COVID-19 response since January 2020. They are currently working with partners to accelerate global action against COVID-19, strengthen low and middle income countries' social safety nets and their capacity to respond to the virus, and help ensure the rapid development and widespread availability of essential commodities, including personal protective equipment, diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines. In addition to all of these vital efforts, Melinda Gates, who is the co chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and founder of Pivotal Ventures, and who had already been doing far reaching and groundbreaking work at the foundation in supporting gender equity and women worldwide, began thinking about the specific impacts the pandemic was having on women, particularly on the domestic caregiving front. Like the many other cracks in our systems, that the pandemic has exposed and exacerbated, it has become starkly clear that the caregiving system is broken and disproportionately burdening women given the fact that women are the country's primary care and service providers, and because they make up a majority share of workers in hard-hit job sectors. And even though most women now work full-time outside the home, they still spend two times more hours on caregiving, are 10 times more likely to stay home with sick children, and are three times more likely than men to quit their jobs to take care of a family member. In her op-ed, Melinda lays out solutions that policymakers, business leaders, and investors can act on so America's broken caregiving system doesn't hinder our recovery and leave vulnerable communities behind. And now, let's join our conversation.
1: Hi, this is Melinda.
0: Hello, Melinda. It's good to talk to you again. I don't I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed you a few years ago for Huffington Post about the Foundation's Family Planning Initiative. So it's, it's wonderful to talk to you again for this piece. And I also wanted to just, you know, thank you, first of all, for all of the critical work that you and Bill and the Foundation are doing to address so many vital aspects of this pandemic. And a special thanks for you taking on this angle of, you know, the disproportionate impact on women, which is a cause very close to my heart, as well as addressing This caregiving angle, which is so important and yet also so overlooked. And so thank you for writing that really powerful op ed. So just to start there, you know, obviously, there are so many issues that we're grappling with in the wake of this pandemic and, you know, an understandable sort of overwhelm of both information and need. And, you know, the pandemic is, you know, traditionally looked at sometimes as a health issue. And while, you know, clearly vaccine and treatment development for COVID-19 have received a lot of attention from, you know, government, business and philanthropy, can you share how you think social issues like caregiving have received short shrift and, you know, why it's important we start thinking about this?
1: Yeah, well, great to talk to you again, Marianne. Glad we could do this. You know, I think whenever you're in a crisis like this, and, and it's it's a health crisis to begin, whenever you're in a crisis like this, you immediately have to go to, okay, let's address health. I mean, health is the basic thing people need to be able to even be available to talk on a phone call like this, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it was right for the country's response to initially go towards health. And I think, you know, much more is still continuing and is going to be continue needed till we get out of this pandemic. However, we also have to look at the impacts because as we know, the you know, the very few tools we have are social distancing and hand washing and wearing masks. And that just even the social distancing of saying all of a sudden, okay, stay home, that has profound effects on what's going on now in our homes. So parents taking care of young kids, parents bringing their elderly parent to their home or trying to take care of them from afar, domestic violence on the rise in the home. And at the same time, People are trying to work. We're trying to keep this economy going. So we have to look at these societal effects and impacts because they're real and they're there. And for, for one of the first times, some of them are actually visible to us where we've kind of wanted to shy away and think of them as invisible before. They're actually quite visible, which is now, thus means it's our time mm-hmm. to use this moment to seize it and to address those issues.
0: Mm-hmm. And why, I mean, of all, and I agree with you, this is totally exposing the many sort of overlooked, broken cracks in our society and systems. What made you sort of, and of course there are so many being exposed, but why was the aspect of our sort of broken caregiving system one that you felt, you know, sort of the inspiration to focus on? Well,
1: because, so one thing I did in this past fall, you may have seen, is I wrote a piece and then put a billion dollars down behind it on what would it take to really move women forward in our country? Because I believe that if you want to have the right society, if you want to take care of everybody, you have to have women and men equal and we're just not there yet in the United States. So I talked in that piece about the two barriers holding women back and the investments needed to move women forward. And caregiving, our economy is built on the back of women's caregiving. And we never address that as a nation. We don't put the right policies in place, such as paid family medical leave. We're the only industrialized nation that doesn't have that policy, and that is holding women back. So I'm basically taking one of those two barriers that I wrote about, and I'm highlighting it, and I'm trying to show what's needed from a policy and a business perspective to move us forward as a nation.
0: And yeah, I mean, of course, you know, in talking about caregiving, can't, you know, also just recognizing the fact that, you know, women are the ones who do the majority of it and that it's often unpaid work that isn't given any economic value. You know, how do you think we can begin to shift that?
1: Well, I think we can begin by recognizing the fact that, you know, our caregiving system has been broken. And if we are going to reopen this economy, which we have to do very slowly and very carefully, this is one of the keys to reopening the economy, to unlocking it again. And so we have to recognize the fact that, okay, of our nurses who are out on the front lines taking care of us, 85% of them are women. Okay, of the primary caregivers in this country, 75% are women. Low-wage workers who we're calling essential, we know their jobs are essential, keeping our grocery stores open, making sure our prescriptions are filled, 62% of them are women. So you want to reopen this economy, you better make sure you're going to protect and keep those women safe because they are the ones who are caring for everybody else. They're the ones who are the primary caregiver at home for the young children or the elderly parents. And we know this from good data. So you're not going to be able to reopen the economy unless you're really addressing these issues.
0: And in terms of addressing the issues, I mean, obviously, our country's caregiving system was, you know, already broken and long overdue for much needed changes. What do you see as some immediate caregiving solutions, you know, either government policy or business decisions that you think could be put in place to alleviate some of the burden, you know, on Americans, especially women right now as we prepare to reopen?
1: Yeah. Well, from a policymaker perspective, we saw one step, and I I consider it a step, a down payment, which is in one of the stimulus packages, they did provide for 10 sick days for people when it's needed during this time. But if you just look at those 10 sick days, If somebody goes out into work and is exposed to COVID-19, they are supposed to quarantine themselves for 14 days to keep themselves and their family safe. So, ten days? Hmm, what are you going to do on the other four days when we know a huge portion of our economy of our workers don't even have access to one sick day. So Congress needs to step up in the next stimulus package and offer far more sick days and leave days that cover not just this acute time right now, but covers the entire time we're in the pandemic because we're going to have to reopen very slowly. and it means, then, okay, we've got to be a bit more flexible. So what can businesses do? They can be more flexible in their work hours where they can. They can change over some of the shifts in the way they do that for their assembly line workers or their warehouse workers. They can give credits for childcare options, you know, and and long-term even think about even childcare solutions that maybe are on site. You know, like we've got to be creative during this time.
0: And what, you know, everyone's talking right now about, you know, and of course, this is important, the importance of testing and, you know, contract tracing. But what happens if we don't? What are the actual functional consequences of leaving caregiving issues, you know, unaddressed coming out of this pandemic?
1: Well, what you're going to see is you're going to see far more women dropping out of the workforce. We know women are 10 times as likely to stay home. When there's a sick family member as versus their husband we know they're three times as likely to leave their job if there's somebody really sick so you're going to have women dropping out of the economy at a time when they're actually what's been propelling our economy forward is to have great female workers. So, you know, when you think about that and you think about, okay, where do we want to be going as a nation when we know it's often women who see the full picture of family and work life? Wow, that would be an enormous step backwards. You know, I talk about it in my op-ed. When you look after I mean, it's gonna be like after World War II. We are going to be rebuilding our economy and we get chances to rebuild. After World War II, amazing institutions were built. NATO was built, the World Health Organization, the United Nations. We had nurseries for women's children during World War II because women were working in droves, men were off at war. But we didn't keep those nurseries up, and so women went back home. Whereas if you look at the Nordic countries, they actually not only kept that child care in place, they expanded it. So it meant women could work and could have great, really great childcare options. And so it's meant you have more female leaders, more women working in those Nordic countries and more equality, which is just good for a society.
0: Absolutely, and I think that is the thing is that there is the concern that we don't, we were already obviously stagnant in a lot of areas in terms of, you know, not, or, or slow progress, and the, the danger that we could actually regress if we don't take proactive steps.
1: I mean, the other thing is we can invest in businesses. Look, we're bringing marketplaces together on the internet, right? We've been doing it. You see it with driving services. You see it with grocery services. There are great ideas out there that just aren't being invested in. Like one of them I talk about in my op-ed, a platform called Winnie. It Literally, parents can go online and find out not only before COVID, but during this COVID crisis, which child care centers are still open, which ones are doing safe practices and which ones are high quality so that if I need to go and work on the front lines in my grocery store, I actually have a child care option. I mean, that's just matching marketplace. We haven't done that in the past. We need to invest in those kinds of businesses. The, it, the opportunities are there, but we just haven't looked at as a set of investors. We kind of pattern match investors go after what they know. No, let's go after some of these trillion opportunities, that's what the size of the caregiving economy is, and let's build what we need for families
0: absolutely and and obviously just even just employers have a, a role to play in creating better working situations just to accommodate the the demands in the wake of this pandemic how would you advocate for employers you know in terms of you know we're already you know people are working remotely we're going to need more flexible sort of working arrangements to help alleviate some of the, the sort of you know caregiving burden for both you know men and women but how should employers do you think you know plan for these options? when we do return to work? I
1: think employers are going to have to be incredibly flexible with their workforce because you'll have some workers who can come back right away, some who will come back but then need to go out because they have a sick family member or they get sick, or you'll have some workers who can't come in right away because they don't have childcare. The schools closed in 47 states. We don't know yet if it's going to reopen in the fall. So employers are going to have to be incredibly flexible with what do meetings even look like in the future? How many of them are online or are they mixed where a few people are in the office and a few people are online? How are they flexible about the timing of those meetings? Because guess what? Kids need to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? So there's going to have to be flexibility in the system and there's going to have to be more give on sick days for people or medical leave days.
0: And I know we also, you know, we talk about the impact on women generally, but this, of course, has, you know, even more serious implications for women of color who, you know, face additional obstacles. How do you think we can make sure we incorporate sort of an intersectional approach in how we think about these issues and how we offer sort of help and support?
1: Well, I think you need to have those women of color voices at the table to say, what are the stresses that they are uniquely under? I mean, they do represent, women of color represent more than half of our direct care workforce, more than half, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. they have to be there in terms of helping design the solutions that could possibly work and explain what are the unique stresses in their environment. So, what do we do to help design into jobs and policies things that allow them to still have an income and put food on the table for their kids? and not have to be the ones that get up on public transport, or maybe they can have more flexible work hours at a time when a neighbor can help them with their kids. But those are the women we need to be thinking about. They're the most vulnerable who are helping us hold up our society.
0: You know, the other thing that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that seems in the zeitgeist right now is there's all this talk about how sort of female leaders around the world, you know, are, are faring so, so much better during the pandemic or so being such effective leaders. We often, you know, he- hear that it's men who are more positioned for having leadership skills. What do women ultimately bring to leadership and how can we, we obviously need them at the forefront right now, how can we better support women's leadership across sectors here in the U.S.? I mean, obviously, this has been such an important focus of your work.
1: I think that we need to hold up those female leaders and make sure everybody sees them. Young girls see them, uh, girls in college see them, young women entering the workforce see them, and see that a woman can be a leader, an effective leader. You asked me why do I think those women are being particularly effective right now? Because I think those women bring a whole life perspective to their job. They don't come just as, ah, we have to do the right thing for the economy or the right thing for our capitalist structure. They come with a full perspective of, wow, maybe I've lived through the sandwich generation of having older parents and young kids in the house, and I'm a working mom. That is hard, right? Mm -hmm. And so you see Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. You know, she's a young mother with young child, right? So she knows how hard it is to be a prime minister and be a working mom and have a child. You see Chancellor Merkel. You know, I've talked to both of these women numerous times. Chancellor Merkel was underestimated in her job from the very get-go. You know, she's a physicist. Look who is leading that country and who's taking a full perspective of take in the science do the testing do the tracing think about the vulnerable open up slowly right that's full female leadership at its core and The male leaders who are doing well in this crisis are the ones who also, quite frankly, have that full perspective of how do we care for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. They let some other feminine side come through. So I think too long, we've looked at leadership as being this male style. And we instead need to say, no, 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 we need leaders who get to be whole life perspective leaders in their roles.
0: Oh, I 100% agree with you. Okay, one last question. Yeah, I do agree with you in, in terms of that this moment is a time for reflection and hopefully recreating new paradigms as sort of the old world as we sort of knows it falls away and and we sort of have the opportunity to reimagine and rebuild. What is your highest sort of most aspirational vision of a sort of new impro- improved world that is possible?
1: A new improved world to me looks like one where we have true equality for everybody in society. Real equality. You know, we stop having these side conversations about women's issues or saying they're soft issues or, you know, that we just say, no, women deserve their seat at the table just alongside men. They have the same skills. They can be trained up. They can do the right things. And not just white women, all women, Mm -hmm. women of color. Gosh, I have some incredible friends, women of color, who their ideas are just as amazing as white males' ideas I know, right? They just have a harder time getting their ideas funded. Mm -hmm. So let's open up these diverse perspectives and build the world that we want that takes care of everybody in our human family and, quite frankly, takes care of the earth as well. I mean, you know, it is pretty nice to see a clear sky in Seattle That, you know, I didn't grow up here and I keep saying to some of my friends, my gosh, I can see the mountains when I go out for a walk. And they said, yeah, you didn't grow up here. This is what it's like when we grew up here. The skies are clear because we have less people driving their cars. And so I think we have a chance to do a rethink on society and what we want, both for future generations and for this earth.
0: Okay, and sneaking in the very last question, because this is a time of such concern and, and overwhelm, and it's easy to sort of feel perhaps a little bit despondent. What keeps you hopeful and energized and doing this work?
1: You know, I see human ingenuity all the time. You know, when I've been able to travel, which I can't right now, to many African countries I love going to, I see this spark of human ingenuity and the lengths people go to to start a business or feed their kids. And right now in, in the US, you're seeing that human ingenuity. You're seeing it in our healthcare workers who are showing up under hard circumstances to do their jobs, or the employees in this country who are essential, who we don't normally say to them, you're essential, but they're the ones that are keeping our grocery stores open so we can go buy a loaf of bread. That's the human spirit and the best of human beings, and that keeps me deeply hopeful.
0: Well, thank you so much, Melinda. You are surely also the best of human spirits. So grateful for everything that you do in the world. And thank you for this opportunity. And, you know, I've launched a new platform called COVID Gendered, digital newsletter and online platform that's looking at all of the ways that this uh, pandemic is impacting women and girls, just uplifting stories, resources, ways we can all create change. And I will definitely be using that to make sure that I'm highlighting your writings and everything the foundation is doing. And again, Thank you so much for all that you do in the world. And I'm always here if you ever need to get the word out about anything at all.
1: Oh, great. All right. Well, good to know, Marianne. So glad we got a chance to talk. Be well.
0: Okay. You too. Take care. I hope you were as inspired as I was by this conversation. And by the prospect that we can use this time where so many of the cracks in our society and systems are exposed to reimagine and rebuild a more healthy, just, equitable world. You heard me tell Melinda about a new project I just launched called COVID Gendered, looking at the pandemic's impact through a gender lens and aggregating stories and resources, which you can find at covidgendered.org. I will also be having many more conversations with thought leaders to get their perspectives about how they see this moment and what they see as the opportunities we have to course correct on the many issues we face as a country and the world. Though these are certainly challenging times, together we can shape a hopeful, positive narrative, work together to fix our broken world, and all be a part of co-creating the world we want to see. Thank you for listening. For more information about
1: this podcast or our host, check out whatwillittake.com or follow us on Twitter at Marianne Schnall.